0: Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond, with your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen.
1: So how would you improve it? I know you've worked with uh, you know, some club teams and your, your parents' club. What have you found that helps them get better at it?
2: Yeah, you know what my favorite thing with this was, um, this was, yeah, 10 years ago ago maybe even a little more you know, a few more ten years ago by now i was coaching uh high school boys you know high school boys in uh volleyball in delaware as you can imagine it's, it's not quite as well developed as it is in southern california um so you know we got you know we got a, got a group group boys out there and they're you know they're okay they're they're, they're learning to play they can do a few few things but as you can imagine the the ball control is pretty low the error percentages are pretty high and, um, despite that, the, uh, the desire to bounce the ball is still just as high. Yeah, that's most uh, important. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so you got all those, um, uh, in play and we didn't have like a ton of guys, you know, we didn't have uh 12 boys. So we're like, so we go, uh, six on six and stuff like that. So we would do, uh um, I started doing it with uh, six on zero. So they would play against me, but all I would do was serve. So I would just serve it in. And, um, uh, then I was like, you can't tip it and you can't free ball. So that doesn't count. Like you have to jump and you have to hit it. So you got to get a swing and you got to hit it. in. And then I would just play it like that. And uh, the first time we were played it, I had beat them. So I'm like, and it was kind of like, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to like humiliate them, but I was like, hey, you just lost to nobody. Uh, you just, but, but you didn't lose to nobody. That's kind of the important thing is you lost to the net and the court. and And for players at like that level, which is generally speaking, like that's, 14 and under volleyball, 15 and under volleyball, playing volleyball for a couple of years, like that kind of level, uh, the net and the court are, are big obstacles. So first of all, I just drawing attention to it goes a long way. And just mm-hmm. kind of explaining like, hey, we don't even need to get freaked out about the other team because we're really not playing the other team. Both of us, are, just, our team and their team, we're playing against the net and the court. If we hit the ball in more than them. Like we'll probably win. And... Um, so I think just starting with that yeah. and uh, drawing attention to it is really goes a long way. And, and then in, by drawing attention to it, you do games like, "Hey, we got five serves. Can we hit four balls in? Can, you know, can we do that kind of stuff?" So you just kind of very basic. Or can we um, we play into three in a row? Hey, we're in a one-way side out drill. We're getting three balls and so we got to get three make them plays in a row. Um, that kind of stuff. So um, just some basic things where you're calling attention to it via um, uh, sort of subjectively by talking about it and then sort of objectively by a scoring system. And then the other stuff is just, is your fundamentals. So that's your, your passing, you're passing, your setting, you're attacking and the things that we know uh, correlate to errors or if we do them better, uh, limit our errors. So we know that pass, passing the ball too tight Tends to lead to bad sets or potential setting errors, especially when setters are less skilled. You know, uh, setters you know setters that are less skilled, less athletic. They you know they really struggle and pass it tight. So don't do that. Um, setter entries are big on this. It is surprising how high um, sort of setter error or general error is in high school volleyball. We take it for granted because it doesn't happen much at higher levels. NCAA volleyball. But um, setters make errors all the time in high school volleyball, and they're not always just getting called on doubles. It's the ball is passed 14 feet into the backcourt. The setter starts to go for it, but realizes she can't quite get there, so she pulls off, but she doesn't quite go help, and between her and the backcourt, the ball drops. Or she feels like she has to get to the second ball, so she's sprinting into the backcourt 16 feet. Then she's trying to bump set that ball back up to the the front row outside, hitter, and it goes into the antenna, that kind of stuff. Right. So first working on center entry field work is huge. Um, we might have talked about this actually the last time on the podcast which just there's repeating um the two least efficient side out rotations in high school volleyball are rotation 1 and rotation 4. They have the two lowest side out percentages. The most common serve receive is rotation 1. So rotation 1 is the on average the worst side out rotation in high school volleyball and it is also the most common starting Interesting. rotation. Interesting. So we we yeah so we know that from statistics on the app. And all of that. Um, it's possible that your team could be good in rotation one. Um, so I'm not necessarily saying never start in rotation one, although I think if it's your first match of the year, start in rotation two. Um, but also that tells me rotation one and four, they're the, they're the two rotations with the most difficult setter entries. The setters have the longest run. There's some specific footwork that you want to teach your setter there. And so it's worth getting good at this, or it's worth modifying your service seats to make it easier on the setters. We tend to think of it as um, passing and hitting, but your center has has a lot to that and a few extra setting errors, which often, like I said, is not necessarily um, doubling the ball or just getting put in tough spots and having kind of wild bump sets. You can imagine. It's hard to make the other team play when you're getting a tough bump set. Um, Maybe at best you can jump and hit it in but you're either going to make some errors or you're going to, it's a tough ball and you chicken out and give them free ball. So that, that leads to an epidemic of not making them play um, that kind of stuff. And then uh, the other thing that I would say is, you know, I really, I really noticed it um, this year because uh, this past um, spring, I did uh, the most uh, club coaching that I've done in a while. I worked a lot with my parents. club. I work with them every year, but usually it's um, shorter bursts and then kind of with the pandemic and all of that, I just them. them. Uh, a little bit more than usual. So I was, uh, there, there a lot. And, um, before I went down, um, to coach in the pro league in Dallas and all that, so I was with it for a couple months and I just really saw, you know, it, it, what it really kind of reminded me of is, is like, uh, 14 and 15 year olds hitting, um, especially hitting out of system indoors is almost like beach players hitting into the wind. You know, you have to, you have to really be disciplined about your approach and things have to be lined up. You have to keep the ball on your right arm. your hitting shoulder um, and, and, and like beach on a windy day. If you let that ball blow over your head, you know what I mean? It's like, you're lucky to even make contact with it. And that's when like you hit the ball into the net or, or that kind of stuff like that. And um, a lot of high school kids, you know, look, Hey, this is, this is why we have coaches. it's why, why we coach them. Um, they, a lot of kids, they kind of run in, they jump and they hope they can fix it in the air. They're not even thinking about that deliberately, of course, because they just don't have the experience to have a hitting process. But they're not thinking about from the time I take my first step to where I want to meet the ball at, to where the ball is going to be at based on the center, to where I want to hit the ball. Like, how am I lining that up so that my approach, my body rotation, and and the ball's on my right shoulder so I can move the ball around the court? Because if it's a bump set, it's a little uncontrolled. it's coming from a higher spot, the ball's coming down with a little more speed and velocity. And uh, especially once that gets over kind of on top of their head or even on their left shoulder. I'm talking about for like an outside hitter, you know, so they're kind of leaning. There's a lot of hitting errors start happening mm-hmm. because of that.
0: And if you are coaching a, a club team and it's the start of the season and you don't have the stats on your strengths and weaknesses, uh, which portion of the triangle do you spend the most time practicing?
2: Yeah, that, that is uh, it's a good question because so, so transition is going to probably be the biggest, sort of single aspect there. Like if you, where would be the most points scored between the two teams? It'll be transition. So the transition is is probably the the easy answer and probably the the one that you can't go wrong with it. Um, And just sort of subjectively, hey, when we're coaching here, coach brings out coaches, you know, you know, it's transition is hard. It requires work. Or when you watch other uh, teams, I'm sure you see like, hey, what is that team over there even doing in transition? Like it's, they're not good at it. Um, but also, but I do think though that one of the uh, I don't know sort of hallmarks of a transition to higher level volleyball is when first ball becomes a bigger part of that of the game. So in the NCAA, there are more balls scored in first ball than transition. Hmm. NCAA women's volleyball stuff like that. So it is also there's going to be more balls in transition now. But I almost feel like we, we need to start developing that ability in first ball because it's going to be the hallmark of us transitioning to a higher level. Now, you said high school volleyball. So I'm in high school varsity, and maybe we're decently skilled. If high school means JAB or 14, 15 and unders club volleyball, that kind of, yeah, they're kind of in the ballpark of high school range then I probably would emphasize transition more because it might still be another couple of years before we're playing at the level where first ball side out is more consistent. But if I'm a strong high school varsity program or kind of having aspirations of that, or I'm coaching juniors, but it's 17 and under and and we have a competitive team um, then I might spend more time on first ball, because if we want to have the year that we want to have, we have to be able to, score in first ball, all, and, and actually not just make a play with score.
0: Can you explain your triage concept?
2: Yeah. Well, it's just what it, we have limited time when I, uh, <laughs> so recently I was back with, uh, actually coached, uh, with the USA national team a little bit. It was, it was actually a, a huge honor for Karch. Uh, got to be the substitute teacher for a little while. They had a, um, uh, a North Seca championship, but it was cool. Cause it was, it was an important tournament. Um, for the, for certainly for those players. So it's none of the players, I was right after the Olympics it was in September uh, down in Mexico. Um, and it's part of the world championship qualification. You know, you take it for granted in the United States that you're gonna be in world championships, um, but for other countries it's, uh, cause you know, the USA team has been so successful and all that, but for other countries, it's, it's not a given, you know, for Canada, Canada doesn't qualify in every world championships in Puerto Rico or Mexico. So uh, for those teams, it's a pretty important tournament and for the players aspiring to get on USA, you know, hoping to break in with Karch and, and the main training group. So it was, it was really cool. I got a chance uh, to be the coach for that tournament and all of that. Um, and the one thing that I remembered again about being in the national team gym is you have too much practice time. It's the only training environment where you have too much practice time. And uh, I had a couple of assistants there uh, who hadn't been, um, involved that, you know, hadn't been as much. I said, it's going to it's gonna drive you crazy how slowly practice starts in the national team gym, like how long the warm-up takes, like how long all this stuff is. Because if, you if you've come come from a club background, which most coaches, even if you're a college head coach now, you probably have some club background at some point um, in, in your development. And certainly if you're a younger assistant, you know, for that. Uh, even at the NCAA level, you don't feel like you have enough practice time. So it's like, okay, warm-ups got to get going pretty quickly. We got to get into it. We got to maximize our practice time. The national team, you don't. Um, so certainly, if you're a high school or club coach, you're like, man, we just do not have enough practice time. You know, you're supposed to start at 730. It's 732, and the 15 and under team still hasn't gotten off the court. You're getting, like, super angry. You know, all that. Okay, you need to maximize your practice time. So it means your prioritization, that's this idea of triage. You know, you have to – We. I wish we could do everything in practice, but we – can't so again coaches kind of all understand this is like okay we're not going to spend all practice practicing our hitting overpasses because hey we'd like to be good at overpasses and it's like be a major bummer if you know what happens but we'll get like uh, we get to hit like one of those a game but we got to hit 14 balls out of side out at least um you know so uh, that's kind of where i look at it so i use kind of i think about this triangle idea to uh focus some of that um thinking and a lot of times in the beginning of the season um, again i'm sort of using the triage idea because it's like hey where are we bleeding points so we got to like stop the bleeding um are we bleeding points in terminal serves because we're getting aced or we're missing too many serves are we bleeding points in transition are we bleeding points at first ball um, you know the first i'm sure i'm not the only coach but who thinks this way like the beginning of the season i'm like Oh, we, we just are so bad at so many things. And, and when I say that, it's not because I think the players are bad, but it's like, we, oh, we could be better at this. We could be better at this. She could, oh, I know she can get this shot. And I, you know, I, I know this girl's defense could be better than that. And this is like, you have so many things that you feel like you could get better at. And it's like, okay, I don't want to, um, I want my players to be focused players. So I want to I be a focused coach. So I can't be jumping around like 17 different things. It's like we have so much to work on, but we can kind of only do them one thing at a time. And um, by thinking about that triage concept, I think we start having some success faster, which then leads to confidence because the players can see their quality of their game going up. So it's that improvement cycle gets addictive, you know. And uh, usually the first way is where are we, again, to use triage, where are we bleeding points? And how can we... start stopping that because then again like that quality of game goes up fewer bad mistakes are being made and and then and then players start raising their standard. um i think it could be a virtuous cycle
1: and if coaches want to do these stats and create the triangle they can do it on your stat app is that does it come out that way
2: yep yeah, so, so um, it doesn't display exactly like that on the stat although probably on the next major revision, um, which I'm going to blame COVID on why it's delayed. We can still blame COVID for stuff. Oh, everything, yeah. Seven seven years from now, I'll still yeah. I'll be blaming any anything wrong with the stat on COVID. That's fine. So that has gotten a little delayed, so it probably will add. Uh, all that information would be on there. You'd have mm-hmm. to, it's not explained exactly as like a triangle. But I would also say, so yeah, the the GMS app, download it, it's great. Um, but I would also say all of these concepts, you, you should be able to do on pencil and paper. I always, mm-hmm. I always think that any um, any tool that you use should be sort of an amplification of what you could write out on paper, I think. So you can also just, for each point, how was it scored or how was it lost? So you don't even need to set every contact necessarily. Um, and actually I think like a terminal, I think those, they call it like a terminal contact sheet or something like that. That's how I used to call it. Uh, back in yeah, my earliest days of coaching club volleyball. That would that was the only stat that I would take. You know, just you can just have a piece of paper with uh, 50 lines on it and or 25 if you want to do double columns. And uh, if we got the point, how do we get it? If we lost the point, how do we lose it? Mm-hmm. Real simple. Uh, and then you'll
1: you'll add them up. Like it, paper, uh, paper and uh, pencil. Keep it simple. But so it's the yeah. GMS gold medal squared uh, stat app. And yeah, GMS stats. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, so then in the the first blog that you put out, you you do the triangle for the women's gold medal match where, you know, the, we we beat up on Brazil. We won in three. But I, I'm curious if you were, you know, say that happened to be a semifinal and the U.S. was going into the gold medal match you know, had a week to prepare and we still want to learn from our wins. Uh, what would, what would they have taken from that? And so I guess first, can you like break down, you know, what the match looked like and what the, the staff could have taken from it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, you know, so if you're, if you're kind of, kind of looking at that, you know, what's kind of interesting about that is it would, for me, it would depend on where, where we'd be in the season. So what you, what you said specifically with regards to that was, if that was the semifinal match that had just been played, we're going into the finals. So, if you're talking about a playoff situation, I'm usually thinking about uh, keeping strength to strength. I'm usually not thinking, ah, okay, we got a few practices, a week, even if you, even if we had a week of practice. In reality, in the Olympics, you have one off day and then you're playing again. So, um, so yeah, so we'll kind of use that sort of hypothetical sort of scenarios. Okay, say so that was on one week, uh, one weekend, and then we got a week before you know, the next match. So we actually have some training time. Um, I'm thinking about keeping a strength to strength. So in that match um, where they really had the dominant edge was in first ball. Um, so they were more terminal in first ball than Brazil. And they were, um, you know, they stopped Brazil a little bit too. So um, I would be, just be thinking about keeping the strength and strength. So I would be doing drills that are something like good pass side out. Some things, things that are both bonus, bonus pointing first ball kill anything that's kind of highlighting, uh, the ability to score first ball, um, you know, doing things, uh, could be, but, you know, however you do it on a team. So also this matters what other drills you've been doing throughout the year. So I want to be introducing the drills, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. uh, because I'd be trying to keep a strength to strength. So in theory, if we've developed the ability to win an Olympic semifinal, uh, with a dominant edge in first ball, we got there somehow. So, Hey, what are our, what are our drills that have developed us to be good in first ball? that's all that's mostly what i'd be what i'd be doing and then i'd also be thinking about so in that edge they actually didn't have a great uh actually slight uh disadvantage in terminal serves uh brazil was a strong serving team um and they had a minor you know brazil's two-point edge in that then i'd be thinking also maybe about like tactically USA missed a bunch of serves so i'd be kind of thinking okay maybe we feel good about that so it was just instead of a couple balls, or do we want to adjust anything tactically? So I think when you're covering up your weaknesses uh, or or you're thinking about your weaknesses sort of in the playoffs, I think I'm thinking more how I can cover for them tactically rather than expecting that I'm going to make a strong change in player ability. Mm -hmm. Whereas if that had been the first match of the year, I'd look at that and say, wow, okay, we're really strong in one aspect of the game. So not that we're not going to work on it, but I'm going to work on changing the ability of my player early in the year. So the information that I would draw would be, or the implementation of that information would be dependent on where we are in the season. Broadly speaking, early in the season, I want to fix weaknesses and try to increase the ability of my players. And late in the season, I'd want to sort of uh, keep a strength of strength and then try to tactically cover up for weaknesses of my players.
0: Well, and in that blog, you also have the the men's final. Um, and that was like a completely different picture as far as the triangle. Can you uh, tell us about what that looked like? And I guess the same kind of question, how would you uh, implement the triangle moving forward with if you were coaching Russia or the ROC? Yes. Yeah.
2: One of the uh, one of the well, the first thing I would do if I was found myself coaching Russia, i just move <laughs> to the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I probably, feeling like super patriotic about the, the women's gold medal uh, match. So I'm probably going to highlight that in every single blog I write. I'm going to find sure. a way to reference USA women finally breaking through a win in the gold. Because that was uh, that was so so awesome uh, for me to see. Uh, so sorry, I have to be a huge USA home on that. But uh, one of the cool things about, I think like, if you look at that uh, gold medal match on the men's side between uh, France and Russia, was Russia outscored France when the ball was in play. So France was plus 12 on terminal serves, really dominant advantage. Uh, Russia, if I'm, I'm not looking off the top of my head, but Russia missed 20 in the low 20s serves, 23 as I pull it up now. Russia missed 23 serves to only get one ace. Uh, while France uh, missed 19 serves, Pippo picked up nine aces. So I always look at it. I look at it at, 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 in terms of that. Like I think it's, it's not just about missing serves. Like you can miss 23 serves in – olympic men's volleyball if you serve six seven eight aces you know hey three to one you know that's not uncommon but it's like wow you missed 23 but you only picked up one ace um so you have one of these kind of things where russia outscores france when the ball is in play so if you take away all those terminal serves the aces and the service errors um in rallies where you know a set and an attack sort of happened russia outscores france so it's really kind of it's a pretty cool idea. And this was this was one of my earliest, um, I don't know, kind of like mind quakes. Um, I, it was the very first gold medal swim clinic I, I went to actually with, with Carl Miguel, and he used this example. And of course, because it's Carl, it was uh, BYU uh, winning a national championship in 2001 or whatever like that. You know, uh, just like every blog uh, of mine is going to feature somehow we, back to the USA winning the gold medal. Uh, every, every like example at that, especially at that time. Uh, from Gold Medal Squared was something with BYU winning, uh, so of course it's them winning. But uh, so they're playing UCLA, and uh, similar concept, you know. So BYU has a pretty big terminal serve match. They didn't call it terminal serves um, in that clinic; um, that language wasn't used, but that's what it was. And um, you know, UCLA scores, BYU once the ball is in play, and it was really impactful for me. I was, you know, whatever. I was 22 years old, or whatever like that, coaching club volleyball in Delaware, and I'm like, oh man, like we're trying to compete on the national level, and we got to beat these teams from. Texas in California and they all seem like they're they're all six foot three and all of this. Like, and I was like, that really struck home with me. I was like, okay, we can the other team can be sort of like better at volleyball, like what most people consider volleyball setting and hitting and digging and blocking and all of that kind of stuff. But we actually could win a match if we give ourselves enough of a buffer in the serve pass game. Like if we if we can just get like a three-point buffer in every game, even if they're two, you know, even if they're like a couple points better um, like at volleyball, we can somehow find a way to steal some of these matches. that was like really impactful for me. And then it's, I mean, that was really impactful for me, like at the high school juniors level. And then now to see an Olympic gold medal, France get, you know, France getting the gold medal in the Olympic men's, the very highest level of volleyball. And it was the same thing. They were a little outmatched by Russia. I'm sure France wouldn't think that, but the, you know, the, the actual play Russia outscores France at the net, but France has that lead. So it's just really impactful. So, Um, if I'm Russia, I think is is how you pose the question to me again. It depends on, um, when in the year we're doing that, but I, I think it's really simple. We have to adjust our serving strategy or our serving ability. And you have to make that call because I think, especially in men's volleyball, you have to make the call between what, uh, tactically this guy is going to do from a serving standpoint. And I think uh, beach players do this a lot too. So I think the other area where we really see it is are we sort of serving for aces or are we serving, uh, like, you know, with with the with the possibility that we're going to directly score a point or something close to it with our serve? Or do we have to serve in such a way that we just allow ourselves to block and defend? And I think at the international men's indoor level, every server has aspirations to be a point scorer. And you need some of those guys. You, you, you can't well, at least nobody's really tried seemingly convincingly to be a team full of six tactical float servers. It, that doesn't seem like any, anybody at the international men's level is having success doing that. So and probably everybody who's gotten to that level has been a point scoring threat from a server at some point, almost everybody. So, so it is kind of tough where you kind of cut that line off. But so the first thing I'd just be doing is trying to have a, a little bit of an assessment of all my guys. Hey, this guy who missed six serves with no aces, does he have the capability to be a point scoring threat or does he just need to serve more tactically because you can have zero miss serves and have zero aces too. Like you're going to get the same, you know, if if you're not going to really get them out of the system, you might as well just make all your serves. Um, But like I said, of course you can't have all your guys doing that. So first you have kind of like this uh, assessment of ability and then, then we got to play some games that are, that are focused around, um, enhancing the ability of our servers. so so you have the assessment and then maybe a tactical shift for some guys. maybe. Um, I don't know enough about that russia team to say whether that this is the case or not. but you know, if I'm like a high school boys team, that that's a lot of a lot of boys and or college men's coaches, you have to make that call. Hey, your jump server who he's got a pretty live arm, but in the first match of the year, um, you know, he, he missed six of his eight serves. Do you, do you stick with it or do mm-hmm. you adjust it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, that's a tough call. I think in women's volleyball, you just float serve. It's, it's an easier discussion for women's indoor coaches. On the beach, uh, not so much because there's a lot of beach servers who are serving spins with success. But if you're women's indoor, okay, you just you float serve unless you're, you've shown the ability, a pretty clear ability to be a successful spin server. Um, but in men's volleyball, it's a tougher call.
1: So you've you've recently spent a lot more time in the beach game diving into NCA and you know some of the professional side and I know the beach game is you know way behind from a you know this money ball statistical perspective have there been any of those like aha moments like you had with Carl McGowan where like oh this is something I didn't realize or this this could change things
2: that hitting the ball in out of service was so important <laughs> <laughs> No that was that was part of it um yeah that no, I think um, just all of that. Um, the cool thing about beach volleyball, which I'm not telling you guys anything that you don't know, is there's, there's a lot more of a game theoretical aspect to it because you have more frequent cycles of interactions. In, in indoor volleyball, you have six rotations that you cycle through. Every rotation is a little bit different. It's a different combination of players. A different server, a different combination of uh, front row attackers, uh, different passing alignment. So they're all a little different. And you only get two or possibly three interactions with that, right? You generally rotate all around, all the way around in an indoor volleyball game where the teams are siding out 50% or more, you're going to get all the way around twice and then maybe have a rotation or two that you hit a third time on the beach. You're getting eight or nine, you get eight or nine of those cycles. So, and only divided by two uh, players. So you just, you have a lot more of those interactions so you have a lot more uh, possibility for things like, okay, we've played a, a straight one, block in line, dig and cross four times in a row that we've served this player. And we're serving this player every single time. So we've shown them a one, four straight times. And then now we're going to do a four and the defender's going to sprint to the line and try to pick up that shot and turn one real quick. Um, something like that. So I, I just, I think that's, of course, like one of the really cool things about, the beach beach. That's why a lot of players love the beach for that um, kind of that, that feeling of that. And I think it, it lends itself. I don't know if it lends itself to the direct corollary of, of money ball actually in a lot of ways. I think it almost is a different approach. Um, if you think about like money ball coming from, uh, you know, kind of coined in uh, on the baseball realm. And I think baseball and indoor volleyball are almost better comparisons because uh, they're pretty discreet and, you um, uh, a lot of the revolution of, of, of Moneyball was kind of optimizing um, uh, the power of like kind of small optimizations. Like, hey, for a lot of these guys, uh, stop trying to steal so much, take a few more walks, some stuff like that. And overall, it's going to lead to, you know, uh, 30 more runs over the course of the season, which is like a lot, you know, 162 games, not even that much. 30 more runs, which is three more wins and a win for us at the major league level, whatever it's worth. I don't know, $5 million. I don't know what it's worth now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hey, by just making some of these like pretty small optimizations or selecting players to make those optimizations, it's like a lot of value for our program. And I don't think that beach volleyball 100% works in the same way. Maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I don't know enough. Ha- haven't gotten it there yet. But I don't think the innovation on uh, beach volleyball is going to be about, I don't know, these very, I don't know, almost like mundane optimizations. I think it's, uh, I think the, the innovation of beach volleyball is, is, is my gut instinct. So I'm, I don't know, I'm just kind of pulling, the, pulling this out. And I haven't I really said it in this way actually before this conversation, but I think it's going to be more on um, allowing, uh, giving players better insight on when they can get I don't want to say like a direct point. I don't want to use that terminology, but just meaning like, you know, like when you're running ones and when you're running fours, giving players better insight on when to run your four. Cause when you run a four and the, the, uh, the, uh, the hitter shoots line, it's like, that's a big point swing. It's, it's not like a 2% optimization. It's like a 20% increase in your chance to win a point. Cause when you, when you run a four, you dig it like a really high percentage of the time. And it's often a quality dig. I mean, you know, when you run down that line shot and you can stay on your feet for it, it's a good attacking spot too. Um, So it's a really, really big point swing. But um, if you, if you sprint for that and they shoot the angle, it's a clear point. Uh, So, uh, and and there's a whole bunch of stuff like that in beach volleyball, a well-timed serve to the sideline that goes in, can lead to a lot of points. So I almost feel like the, uh, the better comparison to, to beach volleyball is almost on uh, football, which has more big place, even though volleyball, everything, beach volleyball, everything is one point. If you can think about some of these um, things that you can do in the rally, where if you guess right for lack of a better term, and it's not guessing, you know, it's, it's strategy and it's reading and it's reaction and anticipation. But um, if you think about some of those things that you can do, um, where they can kind of swing it pretty significantly one way or the other, um, and when, you know, how can we teach players to use those leverage situations better? How can we teach them to use those at the right time, in the right way, the right situations, against the right people? Those are, I think, how you pick up some big chunks of points for your team.
1: Is that because the odds are so stacked against you on defense compared to like indoor, you have a better shot at getting stops?
2: Yeah, and, and, you, and you, all, you have more possibilities on the beach. I mean, what, how far are you going to move in the middle back before you get on top of your right back player? you know, you have just more defined responsibilities, you know, in beach, the defender is the left back, the middle back and the right back. Uh, you know, they're, they have more possibilities. I, I think uh, maybe, maybe not every, every coach would see it that way, but uh, I think, I think I see it that way. Yeah. It's, the odds are a little more stacked against you because that percentage is higher. Yeah. If you look at um, th- there's most, most successful um, women's NCAA uh, teams are uh, sign out in the 60s. Whereas plenty of meaning successful, like winning record, not, not like necessarily national championship, but just a pair that has a solidly winning record. They're signing out in the sixties where there's lots of indoor women's NCAA teams that have winning records that are signing out in the Mm fifties. So because the overall, yeah, because the overall side out percentage is higher particularly first ball side out, a lot of first ball signing out in the the forties, even the high forties, even low fifties for some teams, whereas that's not as much the case in the indoor model. Yeah. So, offense has more of an advantage. So then there becomes a bigger swing.
0: Cool. Well, this was, this was interesting and I really enjoyed the, the article. Um, What else can we look forward to hearing that you discovered in your month in the wilderness Uh, or maybe something that's going to come on your blog next?
2: Yeah. So what I'm going to be, I'm kind of going through uh, uh, the points of the triangle. So, you know, you can kind of imagine those and, then what I'm going to start uh, bringing it down to is, uh, so like I said, each Monday, I'm going to kind of come up with a concept that, you know, because the way I look at things is going to have a little bit of an analytical bent to it. And hopefully it's just kind of illuminating the way that I think about it. And what I'm going to start, um, kind of as I have this content mapped out, is doing a lot of some of these hypothetical situations that you asked me is uh, team profiles, like kind of working up a team profile. Okay, what's a what's a team profile? What's it look like if you're, kind of uh, strong in these two aspects of, you know, terminal serving and uh, first ball, which are weak in transition or vice versa. Uh, what does that look like, um, you know, kind of introducing that concept and then, um, okay, what are some of the training implications? Can we see uh, a match breakdown from a real match where a team won a match with that sort of team profile? Because like I said, there's there's a bunch of different ways where you can win matches. Uh, so that's kind of how I had that laid out. And then even going into some of the um, kind of sub- pieces of that because I can be good in transition because I dig every ball and I just create so many opportunities, or I can be good in transition because I kill a lot of balls in transition. Those are two different teams. So they have different strengths and weaknesses. So they have different training implications, uh, different examples of that. Uh, Generally how I have it laid out is uh, the first three weeks of the month, uh, the articles are going to have an indoor event. And then the fourth week is going to be beach week. So doing some similar ideas, but uh, using examples and and concepts from the beach. So, yeah, that's what people can expect.
1: And they sign up, what's the the link they can sign up on?
2: Yeah, smartervolley.substack.com.
1: Easy as that. Well, this was great. The uh, Forrest Gump, the Dos Equis, uh, just the man, the myth, the legend, all of the above. It's great to spend time with you. Uh, You know, someone who's coached, every level of the game. I think that goes into the most interesting part that you're going to coach this year, what national team, probably some kids who have never played before, some club, you do it all. Uh, obviously beach stuff too. So it's great to hear like your wide range of perspective and all your deep understanding of the game. So thanks for sharing it tonight.
2: Yeah, of course. What I'm, what I'm really looking forward to, I'm hoping to, to do it again uh and see the lions is uh, i'll be down coaching in the athletes unlimited pro league so i don't know if you've covered much of that um on this uh podcast but back for the second season i'm fortunate enough to be able to coach in, in that league and uh if you kind of look at how the season lines up i'm hoping i'll be able to drive basically drive right from dallas to, to Gulf Shores to uh to hopefully see the lions uh, compete again I mean,
1: yeah a- we've, we've got a a condo booked for you for golf Shores if we can make it we got a lot of work to do and yeah, of course. To learn from your insights, but, but yeah, good looking to forward to that.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. I always love talking with you guys and, and love the episodes. I haven't listened to the last two. Uh, actually, I haven't listened to the last four because I haven't been listening to anything this month. So I'm looking forward to, to catching up tonight. Put your brains out.
1: Hopefully there's something good there for you.
0: Thanks, Joe.